Warning. The stories you are about to hear, as part of this production, include themes of self-harm and suicidal ideation, and may be emotionally challenging for some listeners. The Unerasable Stories podcast aims to support all of our listeners and offer a safe space for people to share their experiences. Due to the extreme sensitivity of the subject matter, listener discretion is advised. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Unerasable Stories podcast. To start off today's episode, we wanted to share some quick statistics and data. Overall, 22% of high school students in a recent survey said that they had seriously considered suicide within the past year, and 18% said that they had made a suicide plan. All demographic groups across race, ethnicity, and sex experienced increases in suicide risk since 2011, but certain groups face higher risk than others. Female students continue to be at a higher risk for suicidal thoughts and behaviors than their male counterparts. Three in 10 female students said that they seriously considered attempting suicide within the past year, and nearly a quarter had made a suicide plan. LGBTQ plus teens in 2021 were three times more likely to consider suicide than their heterosexual peers. Nearly six in 10 students in 2022 who had any same-sex partners considered suicide compared with 26% of students who only had opposite-sex partners. Those who had any same-sex partners were also more likely to make a suicide plan and attempt than those who only had opposite-sex partners. To start out today's episode, we have a few people here to share their experiences and thought patterns leading up to their decisions. Without further ado, let's get started. I have wanted to commit suicide several times. Every time, I write a new letter to my family before I attempt. I probably have about 30 or 40 letters stacked up somewhere because I'm too much of a coward to go through with it. I felt like I was useless because that's what my parents told me, that I was a failure and a loser. I believed them. I felt like a burden to everyone. I just wanted to erase my existence. I think it was when I lost my friend to cancer that really saved me. It made me feel like it was selfish of me to choose to die when some people don't even have a choice. I've always had this feeling that I'm not doing as much as I can in this world, or I'm not changing the world in any way. So what's the point in living? The summer of my sophomore year, I tried to kill myself. The other kids at the hospital were some of the nicest people I've ever met. They supported me unlike my teachers and family who called me selfish and cowardly for my actions. I was sexually assaulted at the age of 15. People at my school blamed it all on me. After dealing with it for so long, I couldn't handle it anymore. So one night I went downstairs and took all the pills in the cabinet. I woke up in the hospital hooked up to a bunch of machines. To this day, my parents can't come to explain what happened. They get too choked up every time. Uh, I come from a past with a lot of bullying. Most of my years in elementary and middle school was nothing but bullying, name-calling, being punched for no reason, and teachers telling me to grow up. This spiraled into me being depressed. After eight years and five suicide attempts, I still feel like I'm no good to anyone. My ex-boyfriend said he would kill himself if he wasn't with me. I call him my ex because he's gone. I've been feeling grief for two months now. I've lost loved ones 
And I've also had friends who have struggled significantly with grief, but I can never tell those friends that I'm often very suicidal. I maintain this sunny disposition to hide what I've been going through, but as they're coping with loss, I'm coping with the effects that losing my own life might have on their life. I sit in the same position as her every single day. My mom, who has done the most for me, I feel like I can't even tell her how I feel sometimes because the times where it's gotten really, really bad, seeing her feel like she's going to lose me has hurt me so bad. <laughs> sometimes putting on a sunny disposition is trying to protect other people and sometimes it's also trying not to address maybe what's going on with me and so you use it as like a hiding mechanism for yourself as well as for other people and it is a dangerous thing to feel kind of that alone when i was like 12 years old me and my two brothers were told that my grandfather had passed away of a heart attack it was really sad first like death i had to go through and then fast forward like two years later maybe more than that i'm snooping through my mom's phone and I find her Reddit account. And on her Reddit account, she detailed how my grandfather actually committed suicide. They just told me he had a heart attack because they didn't want to explain the concept of suicide to me. He had died two years ago, but now I'm breathing all over again and for something completely different. And I can't tell my family. First death in my life, I wasn't told what actually happened. I actually was also told it was a heart attack. It's almost like you have to solve a puzzle before you can grieve when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially when you're younger. They didn't keep um, that information from you to hurt you. It was to actually protect you. So I've grown up in the Bible Belt my entire life, and earlier this year, my cousin died by suicide. Previous to this, I removed myself from religion. It's probably been about a year now. When the time came for the funeral, all people could keep saying and talking about was, thank goodness he was saved two months before he died. And they kept repeating it over and over and over again. And in those moments, I was so angry because I know that there were people there at his funeral who thought that he probably went to hell. It's very unfortunate at a time like a funeral for people to discuss um, things like that, but that may just be their way of coping. Suicide is a very hard thing to conceptualize, especially when it's your loved ones. So relying on faith is definitely something that is an anchor for a lot of people to get through stuff like this. After I lost my sister, the judgment that I just saw from the church when I wasn't actively going back after the loss, I just, oh man, I relate to that so ugh. My 15-year-old uh, brother took his own life three years ago. Every day I struggle with forgiving him because it seemed like a very selfish and weak thing to do. My dad took his own life two days uh, before my 10th birthday. And, you know, it kind of, it ripped the family apart pretty significantly. And I remember I, I had woken up um, the night that he had passed. And I had uh, 
I had dialed his number. I was like, I just want to talk to him so bad, you know? And, I, and then I never did. And for the longest time, you know, I was like, that would have made all the difference. I find that I'm angriest in moments of transition. So like graduating from high school or, you know, getting a new job. Um, moments where it's like, ah, oh, I, wish, I wish he was here to see what I'm doing. Maybe it's too easy to say we all make mistakes, because that's a pretty big mistake. I, I, I hope he can forgive his, his brother, and more than forgive is, is accept his suffering and the choice he made, and you know, life's different for everybody, and I think acceptance is like the right path towards peace. My ex-boyfriend said he would kill himself if he wasn't with me. I call him my ex because he's gone. I've been feeling grief for two months now. Someone very close to me when I was younger was suffering with depression and was very suicidal. And I was really the only person that knew what they were going through. I went home and told my mom, um, because this time it, it was real. I never talked to her after that. I was receiving messages from my friend about how much she hated me for doing what I did. I lost my best friend from suicide when I was 23. I used to do a lot of drugs so I can see her again. And it was just crazy times. After I stopped doing drugs, I kind of forgot about her. And then I think that's better for me to forget about her than actually think about her because there's no point when she's not even here anymore. I can't imagine just forgetting. Even the shirt I'm wearing, this is my husband's shirt. I haven't gotten rid of anything. And I don't plan on it, you know, to forget anything. You know, my husband hung himself. And to this day, like, I, I it's like a little, almost like a video saved in my mind of exactly walking in the house. I struggle a lot with seeing him all the time, and that still happens at times. You know, I'll be driving and I'll look, you know, through my mirror and look into my back seat and I see him with a rope around his neck, how I found him. I don't know, I wish that I remembered more of the happy stuff, but it's difficult, you know, it's just like there. I had a friend who passed away in the winter of 2018 and on the two-year anniversary of his death, he came to me in a dream. And in this dream, he gave me a really, really long hug. And then he told me, I know that this isn't okay to ask of you, but you could always join me here. I'm always so lonely. And I told him I can't because there are too many things that I have to look forward to. He told me, that's okay. Just promise me to hang out once you get here. And I think about that dream at least once a week. So I actually have so many dreams about my friend. She comes to me at least like once a month, but it's the same dream every single time. And I see her and I'm like, oh my God, Maya, like, where have you been? Like, I miss you so much. And she's like, I've been in school and she's, she's always in school. I mean, I graduated college almost a year ago. She would have graduated at the same time, but she's still in college in my head. <laughs> um, she, since she never really graduated, I guess. I hope that dream fades for her, I guess, because 
I know my husband is happy for me of how far I've come. It's not been an easy one since he passed, but I know that he wouldn't want me to join him just yet. I know my husband is somewhere um, where his heart is, is at peace, and I know he's painting somewhere, listening to music, probably Mac DeMarco or Kid Cudi, having probably a taco. <laughs> it's really easy to say it gets better. We need to say that to each other, I think. But it's really hard to believe or to understand that it does get better. Because people would say that to me all the time, and like, you want to slap them. I once woke up in like a pool of my own blood. I remember being a little upset that I woke up, but I'm so glad I did. So I'm going to be telling you about another suicide story. About two weeks before I was planning my suicide, I was on a road trip with my older sister down in Utah. I was talking to her about a reoccurring dream that I was having where I was getting hit by a bus. And it was so lucid that I could feel everything. I could feel the initial impact and my bones grinding against the pavement. So I thought that that was the way I was going to die. But as I kept pondering why I was having that dream, and the thought of death, it all just built up inside me and I just felt like my existence didn't really matter. Two weeks after that, I was writing my suicide note to all my friends, family, and anyone else that it, it applied to. I wrote it on my phone, set it on my dresser so that it wouldn't time out. And I snuck out of my one-story bedroom window and ran to this familiar place where I wanted to jump off. That place just so happens to be the eight-story eight parking garage on Front and Ninth Street. At the time, I lived on Owyhee Street where I could just run down to Rose Hill, turn right, run down to Vista, turn left, then go all the way down Capitol until I found Front and 8th, 9th Street. The cops were already there, but not for me. It didn't apply to me. It was irrelevant to me. I was there for one reason, and that was to end my life. I took the elevator up to the 8th story, got up on the ledge and looked down. I stood there for a while, observing everything, knowing that that was my last time on Earth. All of the bright lights, the sirens going down beneath me, Zion's bank right in my view, table rocks cross, glowing brighter than ever. I get down to think, walk around a little bit, and I look over the railing. Right before I'm about to throw myself off, I see something, someone walking on the third story doesn't really matter to me because, as I've said before, I was there for one reason and one reason only, and that was to fly. So there I am. I look up, take everything in one last time, and before I feel myself falling, I look down to see that girl on the third story falling before me. I see her hit the ground and I freeze. 
for those of you that took the strengths finder test, uh, my big strength is empathy. So I was able to put myself in her shoes without ever leaving that eighth story. I was able to die without oh, losing my pulse. So as I sat there, mortified, trying to process everything that just happened, watching the, the police rush to the scene, put her on a stretcher, put her in the back of an ambulance, I think to myself, what the hell am I doing up here? I'm 16 years old and trying to end my life. I recognize the light behind me. It's this patrol officer who starts speaking to me and he says, you should back up. You could get hurt, you know. Still trying to process everything that's going on around me. I look down and say, I know. So I back up from the ledge and I break down just start crying hysterically. I take the elevator back down and I sit on the curb. The police call my parents down and my sister. And while I'm waiting there on the curb, my mom gets there and she doesn't say anything. She just starts crying on my shoulder. I can imagine why. I'm sure you guys would be too if you just figured out your son, who you thought there was nothing wrong with, tried to jump off of an eight-story garage building. They took me back to the house where they, t where they talked to me about getting me into Intermountain Hospital. But as far as I thought I knew, Intermountain was for crazy people. And standing on top of an eight-story building trying to kill myself was not crazy in any way. After about an hour and a half, they finally convinced me to check into Intermountain Hospital, where I spent 10 long, timeless days. No clocks, all schedule. I met very close acquaintances in there, who I still keep in touch with to this day because their stories touched mine the way that I'm sure mine has touched yours. But while I was in there, I had a lot of time to think. I thought about what I was doing up on that eight-story garage building, why I was there. And my mom at the time had a nonprofit called Heart Inspired which was founded upon a uh, family friend's suicide. People criticized my mom because my older sister and I had both struggled with depression, anxiety, and eventually tried to commit suicide. So they looked at her and wondered, what are you gonna do to help prevent teen suicide if you can't even help your own? That's when I thought to myself, Teenagers are good at suppressing their feelings and not showing it to anyone. I'm an enthusiastic, outgoing boy who never really shows anything but happiness. So of course that led all my question, my close friends and family like to the question of why did he do it? 
and where did things go wrong? So I decided to become a teen advocate for teen suicide prevention, because who better to relate to your problems than another teen who's been through them? Everyone has a story, but not everyone shares it. As one of my favorite quotes from the movie Kung Fu Panda states, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, today is a gift. I guess that's why we call it the present. Life isn't hard, the trials that come with life are. And life has its storms, but there's a rainbow after every storm. You just have to be willing to brave the storm first. We come Thank into you. this world unknown, but know that we are not alone. They try and lock us down, but change is coming. Okay.